and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life now. Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us for another great episode today. And today's episode is a little bit different than a lot of our previous episodes. I'm actually going to interview two friends of mine, two colleagues that are going to share their perspective on collaboration. And I originally, as you're going to find out, was planning to do this podcast on my own as a solo podcast. And then I started to think about it a little bit more. And I said, gosh, that's pretty ironic that I want to do a podcast about collaboration by myself. What the heck is going on with that? So I reached out to my coach. Uh, My coach is a woman named Miranda Holder. If you're familiar with the podcast, we've had her on as a guest before. She's spectacular. She's committed to helping people across multiple fields and industries access deeper insights and make better, more aligned decisions faster as leaders and, and individuals. She is somebody that focuses on something called somatic leadership, which is really tapping into the body, which is one of the reasons I reached out to Miranda to work with me. I felt that I often live in my head and I wanted Miranda to help me tap into another side to me and go a little bit deeper than perhaps I was going with myself. Uh, She found her own coaching practice. She used to work, and this is really where our paths began to cross. Uh, She spent a decade as a Division I collegiate head and assistant rowing coach. So in this conversation, we'll talk about rowing. And then she stumbled into coaching after the diagnosis of a genetic heart condition that steered her out of a post-college training for the U.S. national team. And it says in her bio that she stumbled into coaching. But as you're going to find out in this conversation in our podcast that we recorded back in the day, she's meant to coach. This is somebody who understands people, thinks about people, has an intuitive talent and skill and gift to bring out people's best. And I am honored to call her my coach. And we have talked a lot as coach and pupil uh, or coach and client as to how we can share the power of collaboration with the world. And every coaching session I have with her, I feel like she is collaborating with me. She's an executive leadership. She's a career coach. She's also a facilitator. And she specializes in helping people lead authentically for themselves so they can go lead others. And I really do believe I'm a better leader because of my work with Miranda. 
So that's Miranda's background, and you're going to love her. Uh, and our other guest, so we went with a uh, three-pronged approach to dealing with collaboration and thinking about collaboration. Our other guest is also a past podcast guest, and it's Grace Aduroja Kolker. She's an attorney and certified executive coach with more than seven years of coaching experience and more than a decade of legal training. Grace is one of those people that when I first met really quickly, she was someone who I just said, I want to spend more time with her. I want to get to know her. She seems thoughtful. She seems wise. And she sees the world differently than I do, which makes our relationship that much more powerful and that much more profound. So I am ridiculously fortunate to get to collaborate with her on a regular basis, call her a colleague, think of her as a friend, and she's a confidant. And I find even if we are out to dinner or grabbing lunch or a cup of coffee, that she's someone that I seek out for advice, seek out for wisdom. And she has a way of asking questions and and helping people find their way in just a remarkable fashion. When we collaborate with each other, I feel like magic happens. And that is a testament to grace. She's one of the few people that I really have opened myself up with to collaborate with. Um, She divides her time between managing the women's initiative at a prominent Washington DC law firm and supporting private clients as an executive coach and a facilitator. So you're going to love grace. You're going to love Miranda. Hopefully you like me and hopefully you enjoy this conversation as we do a deep dive into the power of collaboration. And I'm a guinea pig for a lot of this conversation. I sort of get their perspective on what gets in the way of me collaborating and then also what best practice in collaboration looks like. So enjoy this collaboration. So here we go. So I'm really excited for today's episode. It's going to be different. And I know it's going to be different because I'm bringing on two people, first of all. I'm bringing on two people who have been on the show previously, and I typically don't have repeat guests unless it's something specific or it's intentional for a reason. And this one is intentional and for a reason. So I was talking to my collaborator, my work wife, my partner, uh, Grace Aduroja Coker, and I was talking to her yesterday about the podcast. And I said, you know, I'm thinking of maybe doing like a solo podcast today on collaboration. And it hit me like right then and there. I'm like, wait a second. Why would I do a solo podcast on collaboration? Why wouldn't I collaborate with other people to discuss collaboration? And the ridiculousness of that occurring is ridiculous because weeks before that, months before that, I had a similar conversation with my coach, Miranda Holder, about writing a book on collaboration. And Miranda posed this brilliant question to me, which said, I think it sounded like this, Brian, have you ever considered writing that with someone? (laughs) To which I said, no. And so here I am with egg on my face thinking about why is it that I would write a book on collaboration by myself? And why is it that I would publish a podcast on collaboration by myself? And so I'm excited to hear from my work partner who spends a lot of time listening to my crazy thoughts and my coach who I pay to listen to my crazy thoughts and get their perspectives. And they both happen to be two of the wisest, most thoughtful, competitive, uh, caring, heartwarming, a little, both of them have a little like hippy dippy to them that I love and appreciate as they both smile. 
And when I think of partnership, both of them are two people that I love partnering with and collaborating with. So they are the perfect guests for this episode. Um, Grace, maybe I mentioned you first, so I'll, I'll go to you. You know, yesterday as I'm talking about like a solo podcast or anytime when I'm thinking about doing stuff, I think I potentially have a blind spot or a weakness as it relates to bringing others with me, not for the end goal, but for the beginning and for like the getting started. I think I'm decent after it gets going of bringing others with me, but there's, there's something there that makes me hesitant to collaborate with people from the get go. And I'm curious to get your perspective on me and then maybe we can broaden out to collaboration and Miranda you're on deck. So feel free to Miranda, just jump in. You don't need me to facilitate this. I think the three of us, uh, know each other well enough that we can just have a dialogue and and I'll 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 sort of make myself vulnerable and feel free to pick on me and and let's let's do it let's figure this thing out yeah um thank you so much adore you so we'll start there we'll do that like um compliment sandwich right you know I think the world of you I I, I don't know it's a, like it's a very interesting paradox that is Brian right because you're so much of a connector you want all you want like to do right by everyone you love bringing people together and then there's this part of you that um i know that one of your top um values is like autonomy uh you are like a quintessential entrepreneur in the most beautiful ways and then there's this like well i can do it myself um i'll just do it myself piece of you where um yeah, I think it's like, maybe it's like, who hurt you? Mm. <laughs> yeah, like, honestly, who hurt you? I don't think it's hurt. I, I don't, as I've been listening to you talk, I'm reflecting and thinking. I think it's less hurt and a desire to like prove, um, a desire to feel like I did it. I'll give you an example. There have been opportunities in my career to take shortcuts. Uh, like a perfect example do you buy Twitter followers or do you pay a marketing or ad agency to go generate business? Or when I hired a coach to help me with my book, I remember the first coach I worked with, he said, I've got the idea of the book. And I was like, you don't have the idea of the book. <laughs> Cause I wanted to come up with the idea of the book for my own sense of self-worth for my own sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. So I actually been very fortunate to not have a lot of pain uh, in my life definitely not a lot of pain in my childhood. And I work with a lot of people who have, so I know what that sounds like and feels like, but I think it's more coming from a desire to feel like a sense of self-worth and, and determination and fulfillment and satisfaction. And as I'm saying that, I think that is like a teenage version of me. And as I continue to evolve, I aspire to think of success as broader because I, and what we'll talk about today is this idea that no one really gets there by themselves. And if I look at my success up until now, there's always been collaboration and there's a fallacy that exists in our culture that suggests that people just do it themselves. And that's like the American way. And I really think that Western culture fallacy is something that we need to work against because it's not true. And so anytime I feel the urge to write something or talk about something, it usually comes from this place of debunking myths. And there's a part of me that has this narrative or this story that says, no, fulfillment is doing it myself. When the reality is anytime I've done anything meaningful, it's been in collaboration. 
Yeah. And here's what I'd say, you know, I don't want to say that the Western culture perspective is untrue. I would say, I think of it in the, like this African proverb, right? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so I think that there was a point, and I love that when you say teenage self, right? There was a point in your life where you needed to go fast. And it is a little, it is more nimble when you're just by yourself, but I think you're in a stage where you want to go far. And I'd say far is like, if you maximize your impact, you've got to start going together. There's so much goodness. And I think you hit a, we hit a place, right? You in your twenties and then your thirties. And then I think your forties is kind of where you get to like leverage all the things that you've done in those first two, first two working decades. Um, and so you want to maximize your impact. And so some things, you know, I, my, my big kind of aha was, you know, I'd started at, uh, my law firm and I, um, was, you know, working a ton, my landlady who I loved, um, she had, it was like a furnished apartment in DC and she came in and it was like, I had clothes knee high cause I had been working so crazy. It was like, I'd get home, throw my clothes off, sleep, get up, get back to work. And she came in and I was like thinking she was going to be mad that the unit was dirty. And she just said like, Grace, you have to hire somebody. And I was like, no, that's like bougie. That's like, I think I had this like come up. And she was like, you have to consider what you bill for. And does it make sense for you at $500 an hour to spend two hours to clean this apartment or give somebody else that opportunity who wants it? And that was like the aha is like me thinking I need to do it is also not giving other people the opportunity to grow and do the things that improve their lives too. And so that's how I look at delegation and partnership. Two things come to mind, Miranda, I want to get you to jump in and get your perspective. The fast and far, which I've said and used, as as you said it, I thought about it and I said, yeah, I like to go fast. I like the creation. I like the ideating because it's fast and it's it's imperfect and it's unknown. I love that that place. I love when we're working fast. I agree. I think I sometimes limit the ability to go far because I'm focused on that fast piece. And that's where I need others to help to go far. Uh, and I don't even love necessarily going far. Uh, I love the fast. I love the intimacy of it. I love the creation, the building, but the scaling or the 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 nuance that you have to take and the operational systems that I think you need to go far is where sometimes I struggle. Um, so that's one piece. And then and then the other piece that I, I'm I'm wondering about, which is this line that I think all of us run into as you talk about the cleaning service. Because I remember my the second house I lived in after college, I was living with six other guys and it was a pretty big house. It was actually a nice house. You're, you're like thinking that's awful. But for me, you know me, I love being around a lot of people. It was great. But there was one of the seven guys that didn't want to hire a cleaning service and we needed a cleaning service. And I was very comfortable spending money on a cleaning service and we all made fun of them. But I think about him, like we all have those things that we want to hold on to because we want to stay humble in a way and we don't want to lose our way as it relates to money or uh, who we are. I think we all 
have those things like finding a parking spot. I still love finding a parking spot and not paying for a garage because I don't have to. So why would I pay extra money for that? Right. And so we all do this game or this gymnastics. I think I'm saying all that's a generalization, but I think a lot of us do this gymnastics where we wonder, are we losing ourselves by doing that? Or is that a good use of our resources? And I think we all have some tension and some push pull there. Uh, Miranda, I want to just have you hop in here as you listen. Uh, I know you're an amazing listener, but you also have amazing perspective and an amazing voice to share on this. So maybe we just go to that question I asked before. You know me really well, uh, and I'm very comfortable having you share anything about me. This I consider this a coaching session, and we're just broadcasting it to the world and I'm giving consent to do that. Yeah. What's your perspective on me perhaps? And then let's broaden it beyond me about how people might struggle with their capacity or ability to bring others in to collaborate with. Hmm. Well, I just wish everyone could have seen your face when you were talking about going fast. Maybe if you listen, go back and listen, like you can hear the quality in Brian's voice how excited he got and how his eyebrows went up and everything in his face just lit up. Um, I mean, I guess if I have my coaching hat on, the question of why is less, um, and this is as somebody who's a, a recovering overthinker, um, the question of why is less interesting to me than like what to do from here. Um, like we can why it all day long and that's, you know, interesting, but also Brian, to your point, if there's not a lot to unearth in your childhood, maybe the why is not all that valuable because the cho the choice at the end of the day is, okay, well, what matters about collaboration and where do I go from here? And why would I want to do more of that in my life? And then how, um, and sorry, that's the hyper results oriented former athletic coach in me who's like well let's get to the let's get to the target I don't want to perseverate and look at our navels on this one um so sorry but that's my perspective um but I, I just I notice and you and I share this Brian so much um I work on my own because I don't like working for other people I have my own business because I have incredibly high standards for leadership and one of the reasons I left um uh, you know, organizations was because I was consistently frustrated with how um, groups, you know, work together and where I saw potential and then not hitting that potential. So I get that desire to do your own thing and to go fast and be nimble. Um, and as I've experienced more success professionally in the last couple of years and grown my business, the only way I've done that has been including more people in that. Um, and it's so satisfying to um, when you when you hit a target or when you do something that you're proud of to be able to look around and say, look at all those people that enabled me to do this. Like, it's not like, wow, Miranda climbed to the top of this mountain. Like, look at me. It's like, look at my amazing team. Like, look at my crew. And so I'm just... I guess I would want to dive into what that vision looks like for you about what you could do with others. Yeah. There's two parts that I want to pull on. One is this idea of working for people compared to with people. And I'm with you. I mean, Grace hit it on the autonomy piece. I was talking to someone about this last night. You know, I worked for other people when I got out of college, <laughs> it wasn't going to end well. And it's not their fault. <laughs> it's me. And so I don't think, working for people, I could do it. 
Um, but I'm not the type of person that likes to just do things because that's how they've always been done and get in order. And that's why school wasn't always great for me. Like I would push back on things and sometimes that didn't go well. Um, so for people versus with people is an interesting construct. And then this word amplify, I just wrote down. And I think one of the challenges that I'm running into right now is like, I, I want to amplify the Mirandas and graces of the world because they're so talented and, and brilliant. And I feel as though there are times when I'm in positions to be able to amplify them and not in a way of like charity, but in a way of like, Hey, I think they're actually better at certain things than I am. How do we get them in positions to be successful? But I'm thinking about that. And that thinking is kind of counter to this idea of collaboration. Because to me, collaboration is not just me amplifying them, but them amplifying me. And I think there needs to be a partnership when we think about collaboration, which is how are they actually helping me? How are they helping me be better? And I think too often I get into this space of like, all right, I'm going to amplify this person and don't give them the opportunity to potentially amplify me or don't even express to them what I need help amplifying. And there's sometimes a lack of vulnerability in me in those moments because I'm just thinking of giving that I'm not always great at saying, here's what I need. And this has been something, Miranda, we've talked a lot about in terms of friendships. And I need to get better at saying how they can amplify me. Um, I'm great at amplifying them. Uh, I'm great at amplifying others. But but I don't always look in the beginning or even when I get going to say, hey, Grace, I need your help with X or Grace, what do you think you can do to help me? Where do you see my needs? Um, and where do you think this can go better? Or what's your vision of going far? And maybe you have a better vision than I do. And I, I think I struggle with that. Um, so it, those are, those are threads to pull on. I don't know if either of you have any thoughts on, on that as you're nodding your head or, or you're thinking or, uh, how how you want to proceed from here? I what comes up for me, Brian, as I listen, is the like being in the energy of receiving. Like when you talk about like it can be easy as a doer and as someone when you're smart and accomplished and hardworking and you can get a lot of stuff done. And you can do a lot on your own, I think. And I'm speaking also from personal experience. I think you and I share this and maybe Grace is nodding. Maybe she does as well. Um, but being in that energy of receiving can be really difficult. Um, and I've even resisted. Like I have a um, really good friend um, who's got a massive email list. And there was a time when I was trying to fill an offering and she was like, well, do you want to do you want me to send it out to my email list? A hundred thousand people open her emails. That would have been a great thing to do. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want to impose, <laughs> you know? And that was totally me being like, I will resist receiving this gift that you're trying to give me. And so I wonder for you or for Grace, you know, what's what's it like to receive or what's been challenging or good about receiving or hard? Before we do that. So yeah. this has been very Brian centric, but you just brought something up for you. And I'm curious now I'll put my coaching hat on. <laughs> uh, yeah. What in you didn't allow you to receive that in that moment? Mm, uh, something that I would say is actually deeply ancestral in my family history around responsibility 
and independence and doing it on my own. And it's actually something I think I've mentioned this in brief, but I this summer did something called family constellation therapy, which works with ancestral trauma and giving back essentially to your ancestors, the patterns that have been epigenetically literally in your cells given to you. But there's, you know, I can tell you stories on stories on stories of ways that that kind of independence sort of grit your teeth and push through hard line, like, oh, I'm going to do it myself has been passed down through my family. And so honestly, it doesn't make sense. And it's been one of the hardest things for me to change. And it was only until doing that therapy that I was able to really move past that. Grace, do you have perspective on receiving and how you think about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I think this is one of the big breakthroughs when I first started in my kind of coachy life. Um, uh, I had done this thing called an interview with a friend, which was like, you know, we had an extensive conversation where I said, kind of, here's where I want my life to go. Here's what I like my life to look like. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Uh, what do people know about me? What can people not count on me for? What can people count on me for? Right. But asking a lot of these questions and this friend of mine, Paula, who's a phenomenal human, she said, um, you know, she said, one of my weaknesses is I don't allow people to contribute to me. And I, I was just kind of like, well, what do you mean by that? Because and this was instead of being defensive, the whole point of this interview is to actually get curious and see, like, how does how does whatever the people in your life say about you, how does that show up where you don't realize that what you're doing leaves them with this impression? So I said, you know, what do you mean? How does that show up? Because that just sounded so frou-frou to me. And she had come over with like a relatively newborn kid, taken a train from Baltimore to come visit me in my apartment in DC. And I had just had a breakup with a guy. It wasn't a breakup. We were dating and I was excited about him. And he decided that he was going to get exclu- become exclusive with somebody no, that wasn't me. And so I was telling her like, yeah, you know, this is what happened. And she was like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, yeah, it's fine. I'm good. And then she was like, you know, tell me more about it. And I was like, I'm good. We're good. Don't worry about it. How about you? And so I said, okay, how is that not contributing? And she said, well, how do you feel when you helped me with X, Y, and Z? And I was like, I felt amazing. Like you're the best and I want you to like thrive in life. And she was like, you deprive other people of that feeling. And that was like, boom. And so that's how I think of collaboration and contribution is there is a vulnerability because the reason I did that was I didn't want to burden her. I didn't want, she has a newborn. She did all this to come to me. I'm not going to bring down the energy by her having to hear about this person who's decided he doesn't even want to be with me. Um, And so that shifted. And now, even when I don't think that somebody is as whatever, fill in the blank for my stupid judgments, I allow them to contribute to me. I think it's a gift that we give other people. Um, and I agree with you about going fast. I think all three of us, we get along because I think we're all like high performers or people who really like love to produce results, hence being coaches. Um, but I also think that there is something and I love the ideating and then finding the person who's going to carry that um, and give it the love that it deserves and have it grow bigger than the ideas I had. Yeah, so, that's that's the tension. That's the point. And you know that where mm-hmm. I think I stay in that space. I don't feel that same way that you do. And 
that that's an it's a growth opportunity for me. I don't get a lot of energy of passing it on. Like I, 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 I like to stay with it because um, it it excites me. And I'll use an analogy that I hope resonates in basketball. I love playing point guard. I love having the ball in my hand because okay. I can create. I can dish to other people. I can shoot if I want to shoot, but I have the ball in my hand. I struggle like, and, and sometimes I'm on teams where I'm one of the better shooters on the team. So sometimes I'll say, Brian, no, no, we need you to shoot. So you go off the ball and we'll pass it to you and you got to shoot. We need you to score. And I get very little energy out of that. Very little excitement out of that. There's, <clears throat> I have a hard time um, playing off the ball. A and then B my energy comes from having the ball and distributing. So I like to distribute, but to like distribute and then not be involved is scary for me. Right. To like that, that's you added that part. Oh, when I heard like pass it on to someone, that's how, that's how my mind, that's where my that, mind went to. Yeah. But I think it's like a lot of times I talk to my clients about like this distinction between like accountability and responsibility. Right. And so I love being accountable and there's a lot I'm accountable for. I don't want to be responsible for it all. Right. Mm -hmm. And so responsible is the person who's taking the action to actually fulfill on the thing. I really love finding somebody else to be responsible and I love being accountable. And so accountable looks like I have, when I'm at my best, I have like reminders in my calendar where if I say to somebody, Hey, you're going to do this Thursday. Tuesday, I'm going to be like, hey, how are you doing? Checking in. What do you need from me? Right. So it's like, I'm still very, um, I'm still really involved, but I'm not the one in the minutiae and the weeds. And I think sometimes that's where I'm so surprised that you're willing to be in the weeds. Like when I was talking about like background logistics and you're like, but I can just do that. I'm like, you can, but it's not a good use of your talents. Like, I don't think of you as a logistical wizard. Right. So somebody who's a logistical wizard, let them have that. They're going to feel like like Gandalf, is that the right wizard? Yeah, they're going to feel amazing. Um, so why would I not let somebody who that's their thing? Thank you, Miranda, for laughing at my wizard wizardry. Um, let them have that. And if there's somebody who really wants, that's my my thing that I love to do is figure out what are the things that people are really all about? Like what's their like zone of genius? And then what do I have? that I can support them in so that they feel like 10,000 feet tall. That's like the best. That's my whole leadership, at least philosophy at work is like, I want to know what everybody cares about. And then when I have like a big project, I'm going to look at what are the pieces and how can I frame it in the thing that they really care about and then be accountable for the whole of it. It's interesting when I hear you talk, I, I'm just going to focus on me. I actually think I'm once again, good at finding talented geniuses to bring on. And that's why you two are on this podcast. So I, I can quickly and, and be very fast to say that person's talented. Let's go. Um, but then there's something that gets in the way and you're talking about the logistics part. And I think that probably has to do with control and fear. And that piece is yes, they can do it, but unless they've proven to me that I don't have to worry about it, I still want to control that. And I'm not sure that's always bad. Uh, that's probably why I do it. But like Joey, for example, who does the show notes for this podcast, I have no concern 
that he's going to do those show notes. He's going to do them better than I ever did. Uh, he's, he's a genius on a lot of different things, but on that, like there is no concern. So I think there's something in me that it has to be earned and that I don't, I think it gets in the way sometimes because it, it stops me from experimenting out of fear. Um, and I think I've written about perfectionistic tendencies. I think it helps me in a lot of ways, um, but it can also stifle you if you over-index on it. And so I think but there's a way, there's a way to, there's a way, Brian, for you to like start testing it out. So, Cause I, th I think the same thing you, you, you're not, I'm not, I'm not going to hand over the, you know, the, the project of the year to somebody who I haven't worked with, but I am going to give people like, I'm going to give you little things where it's like, if you can demonstrate a level of excellence and that's what it is. The three of us are like, I know that the three of us have a standard of excellence that impresses me. So I'm not, I'm not, I, I want to see like people who, people who deliver excellence, deliver excellence across the board. Like none of us are like, a, oh, that's good enough and, and keep it going. And so that's what I want to distinguish all of those people in my universe and then find out how can I make them sing. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you, but it's interesting to me that you said, I like to be point guard. And then you described not being point guard. Cause I think of point guard is accountable that it gets through the hoop. But like you said, they don't always have to be the one taking the shot. Yeah. So, I just meant, I like having the ball in my hand and then figuring out who's the best person to shoot. And it's very, I don't want to be the one that shoots, even though my friends are playing me probably say I shoot from too far too often, but I I'd rather set someone up. Like there's no better feeling I have as a basketball player. And it's always been this way as long as I can remember than setting someone up and they score like that is that's my favorite part of, of the sport. And I, that all I'm saying is you use that analogy, Brian, and then, and then you describe in, in other things, not being that like, so there's some barrier because I think that at your heart, that's exactly who you are. Well, it depends on who's who I'm passing to. So yeah, if I'm all the time and you trust it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I pass to you. I pass to Joey. I could, I could name other people. I, I passed to my wife, probably she would say a lot um, and my clients. So, or my friends, like, I think like I am constantly passing and I love it and I get energy out of it. The question is if, I, if I pass to someone who I don't know, and I don't know if they're competent and I don't know if they're capable and that's scary. And you hit on it. And I, and Miranda, maybe you can hop in is the experimentation. Um, I'm going to interview Amy Edmondson soon. And she talks about, how important it is to fail, um, not necessarily quickly, but fail intelligently. And uh, that we can do almost like these micro failures. Like when is it that it's not that risky, that there's not a big consequence that you can experiment and you can test and you can collaborate with someone, but the consequence isn't uh, like a massive, massive failure. And her work around psychological safety and failure is that the best organizations, the best collaborations, the best teams it's not that they fail. Uh, it's not that they fail any different. It's not that they fail. Um, what what does she say? She says they fail more because they're aware of their failures, and so they are they're calculated and they're thoughtful and they're intelligent and they're doing them in psychologically safe environments. And whereas lower performing teams don't acknowledge, they don't see the failures, they don't 
they don't even live in them. They just keep going. And so for collaborations, it's important for me to be able to have someone that can fail. We can learn and we can grow, but it's in a space that's not going to cost me a client. It's not going to cost the experience that we're creating. And so how can I test that and experiment with that and give someone psychological safety and so that they can learn from that sort of micro failure, so to speak. Miranda, you have any thoughts? Well, yeah. I mean, this is where I'd bring in some of our conversations is I think one of the things that's been hard for you is when you go all in on something, that's a huge amount of energy and time and effort and thoughtfulness. And you correct me where I'm wrong here. um, It really bothers you and you find it hard when that level of um, effort is not met by others in a project. And you and I have not ever gotten like super deep into say one of the examples. So I don't think it's, you know, bothered you to the point where that's really been a useful conversation, but my curiosity leaving those conversations as your coach has always been, I wonder what the communication was like around expectations and how clear you are about if I'm going to, you know, before I jump in, right. One of our last conversations, we talked about that feeling that came up your spine, right. When you kind of get excited to go, you're, your nervous system that gets, you know, you wants to jump in, like what it's like to pause and reflect on what do I really need out of this situation from a collaborator? What's my expectation that I'm not even aware of myself yet that I need to think about ahead of time and then communicate about to see, does this person want to meet me with this level of effort? Yeah. And when I think about collaborating at its best for me, there is a speed to it and there's clear expectations to it and you combine those two. And so I am going to go fast and I'm going to slow down while going fast to say, Hey, let's make sure we're clear on our roles and our responsibilities. And so I don't get bitter and jaded that I expected them to do X, Y, and Z and they're not doing it. And look like there is a, I don't know if it's true or not, but there is a thought that my all in is different than other people's all in. And part of that is because I don't go all in to everything. And so I, if I'm not going to go all in, I'm, there are things that I'm involved with that I'm not all in and I know I'm not all in and hopefully they know I'm not all in and that's okay. But if I'm all in my all in, I find to be, I would say the two of you often match my all in Miranda. We haven't collaborated as much as I've collaborated with grace. Um, But one of the things I appreciate about grace is when I go all in with her, our all-ins are are similar. I, I also find that while they're similar, I sometimes when I'm collaborating with people in Grace, I'll be vulnerable with you on a microphone. I feel sometimes when I'm all in with you or others, it's like they know that I'm just going to take care of the other stuff. And so there is an expectation that I have that they think I'll just take care of it and it'll get done. And those are the moments where I need to get better at articulating, hey, I don't want to take care of all of these different things. I need help and support. But that's where I go back to, and Grace, you brought it up. It's like, I'll just do it. And then I just do it. And then I become bitter because I didn't <laughs> I didn't share the needs and, and the receiving. And back to that word receiving, it really resonates with me because I, I I'm not sure I love to receive. And so as a result, if I don't love to do that, why would I offer someone the opportunity to give me that? 
And so that's the piece in collaboration that I need to wrestle with, which is that story or that narrative or that belief. A, is it true? Maybe it is. Maybe it, okay, you're just not going to be a receiver. But if you're not going to be a receiver, then you're not going to be a good collaborator. And so it's going to be very hard for me to continue to really collaborate with people to go far if I'm not able to receive because that inability to receive stunts me from saying to someone, here's what my needs are. And so it all sort of comes full circles. That word for me is like a really, really big piece. And I'll use another sport analogy. You see this in like football where you have a quarterback who loves having the ball in their hands and maybe they run. Like I went to the Ravens game last night and Lamar Jackson loves to run and he's really athletic and he's really talented. But in order for him to maximize his potential, he can't run all the time because when he runs, the offensive line might hold and they don't look good. The receivers whose job it is to run routes and go catch the ball and they love catching. Now they have to block. They don't love that. And then there's this guy called a running Mac who likes to have the ball in his hands and run. And so that quarterback, Lamar, is learning, and you can see him this year, not always just running just because he can, but actually trying to pass. And for him, there's probably this learning of that's receiving for him, right? The ability to let other people do their jobs and find them rather than just take off and go running, which by the way, can get hurt. And and there's all kinds of other detrimental stuff. And, and that analogy resonates for me because if I just take off and run, I could get burned out. I could get tired. I can get exhausted. I can get distracted. Uh, to Grace's point earlier, I can maybe not maximize where my talents lie. Um, there's a lack of potential if I just take off and run and just go fast. There's a lack of ability to go far. And you see that at the quarterback position in the NFL, the ones that really go far. Let's just use Tom Brady. He was really accurate. Everyone did their job. He knew where they were supposed to be, how they were supposed to do it. And that's why he was able to be the best at it, even though he probably wasn't the most talented. It's he figured out how to make everybody around him better. You can look at any sport, genius, greatness in any sport, team sport uh, involves people that are able to make the other people around them better. That is like the definition of greatness. So sports for me is a really healthy analogy. Miranda, I want to just kick it back to you. Unless Grace, did you have something you wanted to pull on there? I want to, I'll, I'll prime this Miranda. I want to bring your rowing background into this. Um, and then Grace, maybe even your background as a writer and working in a newsroom uh, into this as well, because you both have unique backgrounds. Uh, so Miranda, I'm going to prime just the rowing concept and and what you saw as a rowing coach as it relates to collaboration. And maybe we move away from me and we move into just a general idea and concept around what does great collaboration look like? I think we've done a lot on what are the struggles or challenges that individuals might have on on finding collaboration, but maybe we 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 turn the corner. Grace, do you have anything you'd want to add or or put a pin in uh, or, a, or a bullet on uh, to close that? Yeah, I think pin in and we may end up doing it offline, but not because they're just for the, in the interest of time, but I want you to talk about kind of the tension between being somebody who collaborates with you, knowing that you kind of feel like you do a lot of the things, but then also knowing you have this, like, but I just want to do it. And so not knowing where to step in, not knowing the things you want on anybody else's plate, not there's certain things that you get kind of like, I want to do that. Um, and then there's certain things where it's like, once you've done it, it feels a little like you're frustrated, like nobody else stepped in. And so there's these things where it's like, I, I can't win for trying, but I don't, I know that there's no malice in Brian's heart. I know he's not like 
fundamentally upset, but it's like, yeah, some of these things I know you just want to do. And, and like this discerning that from your brain is impossible. So I, and you, so you notice like when I step in, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to do this if that's okay. Um, but I'm not going to just, there's certain things that I know you, you really do like to do. That was, that was Miranda likes to watch the body and, and she's works in somatics, which is noticing and observing what's going on in someone's body because the body speaks and and I have to live in my head, which is one of the reasons I, I want to work with Miranda is she taps into something different for me. But you just nailed it. I could hear my wife Robin saying like, I can't win with you, right? Like you want this. Even I think about what do you want to eat? Like that is the classic case. I really want to eat cheeseburger, French fry, pizza, maybe some great chicken fingers. Like, yeah but I don't really want to eat that. Right. Like, so when we go through like, what do you want for dinner? What do you want versus what do you really want? And perhaps it's, what do you want right now? And what do you want three hours from now after you eat? And there's that, that back and forth uh, of, you know, I want to be healthy. That's the truth. And I want to have the autonomy to eat whatever the heck I want. And so for, for me, diet, really speaks to what you're talking about, but I think it shows up in a a variety of other ways to your point, Grace. And I'm glad it's amazing. Sometimes we just need to fire up a microphone and and you can have conversations that you probably should have had yesterday because I, I, I can hear you saying that. And I want to say, I'm sorry. Uh, That is something that I know, but I need to continue working on, which is owning. Hey, like, I do want you to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm imperfect. And sometimes I am conflicted on what do I want today and what do I want tomorrow? And that tension, I think for all of us in our relationships exists in some way because we're all evolving and growing and changing. So I might give Rob and my wife my answer from my 20-year-old self, but my 40-year-old self might not still have that. So there's an incongruence in what I really want. And I think we all deal with this. Like we want to be married, but we also, you know, in a real world would maybe want to do some other things. Well, you can't do those other things. You're married, right? Like that's, that's, that's life. And Miranda, this is women versus men, by the way, there's a whole different, there's a whole (laughs) different thing going on there, but there are commitments that you make where you no longer can do certain things. And uh, like, I don't like working out, but I'm committed to being healthy. So I do that thing, even though it's not something I love doing. And sometimes in life we have the, like, I never want to see my trainer. I work out on twice a week. I never want to see him. Wonderful dude. Great guy. Love him. I'm like, you get the worst version of me. You get me in the morning where I'm grumpy and I don't like working out, but I do. I want to, this is what I want. And so we, we struggle with that and, and bringing it back to collaboration, Miranda, I I'm teeing you up here because rowing, when I worked with rowers, college rowers, what a miserable existence that is. It is, they are cold in the morning, at least where I was in Washington, DC, they are, you know, waking up at, I don't even know what time y'all wake up to, to train. And it is this monotonous, they have this thing called the erg where they, they train in on this machine and I don't know, it always sounds like it's dark and dingy and, and brutal. And then they go on the water, which should be, I'm sure it's magnificent at times and, and soulful and peaceful, but it's hard on your body. And then 
for someone that loves to be like a leader and loves to be creative, like now I have to just get in line with everybody else that's, that's rowing the boat and be completely in sync with them. And if I go too fast, I'm actually slowing the boat down. These are things that I think about quite a bit. So give us your experience when it comes to collaboration as a, as a coach, as a rower, um, and what you witnessed and felt in those boats. Can I actually bring it all together for a hot second? Of course. Um, I hear you when you talk about the food with Robin, right? Like what does your mouth want? And what does your body want? Like my mouth wants pizza right now, but my body in three hours is going to be happy if I had, you know, a salad or some veggies or whatever. Um, And so to me, there's the, in the body, the ability to sense and be with the complexity of multiple experiences and multiple feelings and sensations. And then having the leadership and the discernment to say, okay, well, my habit is cheeseburgers or my habit is responsibility for all details and over-indexing on control and fear of it not working out versus my desire in my heart or my aspiration to be the kind of leader where I can hand this to someone that I trust and know is going to do a good job and the beauty of letting them run with it, even as that's a stretch for me. Um, and like to me with rowing, that's a perfect example. And I tell this story a lot. Like I remember sitting on the start line one time at a national selection regatta. So to try to make the U S team for the world championships. And I look to my left and I see someone who'd been on the Olympic team and somebody to my right, you know, who'd already been to the world championships. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, I feel like I'm going to throw up like absolutely everything in my body is screaming at me. And then there's also inside my body, this deep feeling that this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And all that exists in the same three-dimensional, you know, unit of cells. And I've got to listen to the deepest, most wise, most true part of me that says, I want to know, I want to be tested and see if I'm good enough more than I want to avoid the discomfort of the challenge of what rowing brings. Um, and I'll just pause and let you respond. Grace, do you have any thoughts on what Miranda is saying? Uh, and I know you ran track and I think of track as like an individual sport, but then you see track when it's a medley and you see this, uh, energy that that they have that runners have and there's been research on this like people bike faster they run faster when they're working as a team and uh there's something powerful you watch golfers who are in the olympics now and they love being in the olympics or the Ryder cup is a team event and there's something about belonging and collaboration that's very human i'm watching the chimp uh it's a netflix special about chimps i mentioned it yesterday grace and it's amazing because chimps you know, they have some alphas that can be alone, but they're not going to survive if they stay alone. Like we are, I think 98% of our DNA is the same as a chimpanzees and they're our closest relative and they are wired for belonging and they create support systems and share food and uh, help each other and go to war with each other. And um, it's kind of fascinating to watch. And uh, you know, I think there was a line that I heard the other day is like, if you're not grooming with anyone, ultimately you're going to be in trouble as a chimp. 
And there's a reason why humans all over the world, regardless of where they live, create families. And there is this desire that we have to collaborate. And I think it probably stems from our need to survive and that those that did not collaborate died and those that collaborated survived. So I think it's deep within us that we become tribal and we want a sense of belonging. Um, we can even go to the newsroom because I know you spent a lot of time in those survival areas. I was with uh, our friend David Epstein last night, and he was talking about his experience working, you know, as a as a reporter and as a journalist, and and a lot of it was alone, and he'd be out and on the beat or going to sketchy areas to try to find information. Um, and, and so I'm curious what you saw work well in collaboration in the newsroom, or were there times where you, you didn't see it function well. What was your experience like? Yeah, I, I, I yeah, the, the newsroom was like awesome. I think, um, I, I think it at its best, there's like a hum and it works as like a single entity. And, um, especially when there were, you know, breaking stories, I, you know, there would be, I remember there was like a stampede at a nightclub and so it was like all hands on deck. And so those were night. I remember one night it was like, I was sitting there, I'll age myself, like watching sex in the city in real time. And, um, uh, something, there was like a fire downtown. I could see it cause I had a fire pager and I thought that somehow I thought the newsroom had called my cell phone and I called in and I'm like, somebody call grace. And they're like, no, um, but it's good. You called in, there's a fire, you, you know, do you want to like come back in? And so I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and so they just sent me to Cook County Hospital and I just like parked there. But it was always a sense that I was part of this bigger picture. And so I just had to cover this corner of the earth. What kind of information could I get to feed to the newsroom to see how we could put together? And then there was somebody there who was like putting together the puzzle pieces of like what happened. And so I just always, I, I grew up um, in band um, and so I played piano, but then I also played alto sax. I did jazz where you would improvise and you knew that the rest of the people would be able to follow you if you knew jazz scales. Um, I did marching band. I was in the all state marching band. Um, and then I did volleyball and cheerleading and, you know, basketball and track. So like, I love a team sport. Um, I think of like the band is like that. And it's, to me, it's, what is your instrument? And that could be your body, your skill set. What is that meant to do? And then how does that feed the whole? Um, and there's a part of me that has a real independent streak and I have to fight it. And I, I love that I have these analogies and these other modalities that I have done since I was a kid that remind me that like, as much as I was a really good saxophone player, if I'm playing certain pieces, the Star Spangled Banner on a saxophone, beautiful. With the band, heart stopping, right? And so that's kind of, I, I try to have that be my due north. And I would say just what Miranda, that like, I love that visual, Miranda, of you like at this like super high level, looking at people who intimidate you and still knowing that you totally belong and that every fiber of your being is like, yes, yes, yes. And I'm terrified. Yeah. Although I don't, I don't know that I felt, I, my, I knew I needed to be there. I don't know that I felt like it belonged, but yeah. Yeah. And sorry, Brian, I kind of punted on your question about the rowing, but I can go back to it if you want me to. Um, yeah. Yeah. Feel free. And I want to 
after that, I want to pull on this idea of jazz music. And and I think music is a really good place and then maybe business as well. But let's stay on the rowing piece because I agree. I, I didn't get the full rowing answer. And Boys in the Boat, great book, talks a lot about sinking and, and the ability of it, ability to sink. And then like I, it, it is mind blowing because before we started recording, I think I said, I was like, there's no sport that's as collaborative as rowing. And I saw Grace's eyes light up like, oh, like maybe she hadn't thought about that. But I've done a lot of thinking around this. There are other sports like hockey where you can't stay on the ice for a certain amount of time. You get tired. And if you stay on for too long, you're going to hurt your team. So you got to get off the ice so someone else can take your place. But no sport. I don't think there's a sport that you have to slow down your own ability in order for the boat to go faster. I might be wrong about that, but that when I heard that from a rower once, it was mind blowing. This was a division one rower who had U.S. Olympic aspirations. And he said to me, Brian, if I go as fast as I can, the boat is actually going to function worse. And so I have to be able to slow down to get the boat to sync up so that we can go faster. And it's really hard for him because he's training his ass off and maybe his teammates are not training as much and maybe they're not as all in as he is. And so now he has to train. He has to take his training and actually push, pull back in order for the team to go farther, which is a lot of what we were talking about before. So do I have that right? And what's your perspective on rowing? Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you a story, which is always the best example. So in college, um, picture 19 year old Miranda, like fairly full of herself and kind of obnoxious. Um, rowing was the sport that I found, um, after trying a lot of other sports and being not that good at them and then being kind of awesome at rowing right away. And it was my sport and, um, had a really big ego around it. And, um, my college coach, um, thank God for her, took me aside. I used to love to sit at the front of the erg room um, and kind of lead and be close to the mirror so I could work on my technique. And she was like, you know, have you thought about sitting in the back? And I was like, what? Why would I sit in the back? That's what the slow people said. <laughs> I sit in the front where the fast people sit <laughs> and lead. Um, and she was like, yeah, but you need those people. <laughs> like you can't do this by yourself. And the irony is in rowing is that you can actually go row your own boat. They can go row single, but in college, you can only row in team boats. Um, and so the lesson, the beautiful lesson that I learned in college was um, my senior year, we took our team to its first NCAA championship ever and finished fourth. Wellesley won, I think their second in a row national title last year. And I still feel like I'm a part of that because we started it back then. We started this momentum and it's only because I was able to get out of my own way <laughs> and realize like, uh, yeah, if I'm amazing, like who cares? I need eight other people in the boat with me, seven other rowers and a really great coxswain to make this thing work. And it was such a wonderful, beautiful puzzle, not just physically and technically on the water, but also emotionally and psychologically behind the scenes of spending time together and creating camaraderie and building relationships. And then to go to the NCAAs, you actually need a whole team, like more than one boat. So I needed to connect with people that I didn't even spend as much time with to really drive the performance of the whole organization, the whole team, so that everyone's really bought in. Um, and so it was this just beautiful experience of extending beyond myself toward a goal. 
and knowing that at the end of the day, looking back, like I couldn't have done that without Rebecca Pfaff and Catherine LaRue and Anna Special, like all these people, I couldn't have done it without them. I, I'm going to connect this back to music. I, I'm thinking about Beyonce, Justin Timberlake, Michael Jackson. Uh, you know, they came up with a group and then they went into their individual careers. And at least for Justin Timberlake and Beyonce, then you see them later in their career, whether it's at the Super Bowl or or opportunities at award shows where they bring the band back together and they they try to bring them back. But I, I think for the sake of this conversation and people listening, it's an interesting question, which is starting out, are we better as a team or are we better off like carving our own path and then creating a team? Um, and I think about business in this sense, or, or I'll give you an example, like run DMC and Aerosmith, right? They have this collaboration walk this way that becomes this massive hit. Well, I think run DMC was already existing and Aerosmith was already existing and then they collaborate. Right. Whereas the Jackson five or destiny's child or in sync, like they created that magic together and then maybe someone goes off on their own. And so there's this interesting question of best practice and it's probably not an answer it's probably something for us all to explore but when starting out are we better off you know as like hey it's interesting i even use run dmc and aerosmith because they're still groups like they still were groups that collaborated but you could do like jay-z collaborating with uh what was the one that you did hardcore do you want more uh with the rock uh, what's that rocket? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Someone's listening to this. They're going to give me hell that I didn't know the name of it. Um, but so you have individuals that will collaborate Lincoln with Park. Lincoln Park. Yeah. So you have the Chicago uh, time you spent in Chicago finally paid off. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry that that didn't mean, mean to come off as a dig. But I, I guess the question the question I'd ask is, I think about even business, uh, you know, like Thomas Edison had a team of 40 people working on the light bulb, but Edison's credited with the light bulb. Mark Zuckerberg with Facebook credited with Facebook, but you've got the twins and, and that story about how it got started. You've got Ben and Jerry, you know, working together to create ice cream. You've got Warren Buffett, who everyone knows. And then there's Charlie Munger, who's been his partner for years. Uh, you know, you've got Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, right? Like there are these um, these stories of an individual success and we sort of prop up this individual genius, but there's usually someone else that was collaborating with them in the beginning. But you also have these collaborations that start with InSync and, uh, you know, that are that stay together. And then maybe later they go apart and separate. So I'm sort of struck by how do we collaborate and when do we collaborate? And and I'm wondering about that. Grace, you're you're, you're wondering about yeah, it. Yeah, but you, you're tickling my my little brain wrinkles. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing in seven habits of highly effective people. I think he talks about this and this kind of brings us full circle, right? Where you talk about the the Western mindset, maybe the kind of more uh, ancient culture mindset, right? My parents being Nigerian and, and I don't think one is better than the other, but what I would say is in seven habits of highly effective people, he talks about the state of dependence, independence, and then he says interdependence, which we usually don't get to in our culture. And so that's what I would say is probably the trajectory you're pointing to. I, I don't know that there's a right way or a better way, um, but I do think that those things are on like a continuum where it's like, as you mature, you start from a place of dependence, right? You're like, we all have kids, they're dependent on us. And then you go, they're going to get this like, like independence, um, which we, we 
you, you can see that happening more and more. And then there's the interdependence, which I hope I have with my parents now, um, where it's not just them or me, it's in us. And it's not always that I need them. And it's not always that they, there's times where they need me. And so um, it's, it's become something more rich and mature and uh, interesting. So I don't, I don't know about the instincts and all of that. I'd say that, um, yeah, I just think that the, when I played music, that was one of the best, because it's similar to what you were saying with rowing, where you have to pull back. There'd be times where it's like, oh my gosh, the saxophones have this beautiful note that we get to hit. And you're telling me that like the trumpets get to play that loud, but it's like, no, it, it actually sings more when we, you know, the, the director would say like, you guys have to pull back. I need you at a pianissimo. The trumpets are going to do like a mezzo forte, but I'm telling you in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's going to be beautiful. Right. And so you just had to think about not just what did you like in your music, but you were thinking about the grander sound. Yes. And I, Grace, think that's so beautiful because I actually, um, I understand Brian, why that example struck you about the rower so much and the skill in rowing and in music, right. is not just doing your own thing. Like, so what you're really fast. Like it doesn't actually matter. Or you're really loud or you can play whatever. Um, it doesn't matter if the point is to go together or if the point is to blend or if the point is to collaborate and unite to produce something. Um, so the, to me, even the rower measuring himself, well, I can, you know, go really fast. It's like, well, who cares? Like you go by yourself or if you're going to row in a, in a team boat, like if you're going to row in a crew, then you're judged and your speed is measured by your ability to be in sync and to be receptive. Like, rowing is the only experience I've ever had where I feel like there's almost like a hive mind, like the matrix and we all plug in and nobody's talking. Well, the coxswain's talking if you have a coxswain, but nobody's talking, but you can sense and feel what's going on with people energetically. And you can feel when you're side by side with other people and you can feel other boats are starting to move and you can feel your crew, even again, though nobody's saying anything, you can feel, Hey, we're ready to take a move. We're ready to, to come back. Um, so that ability to sink into that interdependence um, is so powerful to me um, and not really the measure of like the speed is the measure of the whole. Uh, I'm going to have one more sports analogy and then I actually want to go to government. <laughs> and I don't know if we have enough time to talk about government. Obvious next choice. <laughs> yeah, obvious. <laughs> I'll tell a quick story. So I was talking to an NBA general manager once and he said, Brian, I really need to clarify why we run the system that we run. So our players understand exactly why we do it. I said to them, this is probably 10 years ago. I said, okay, well, like if you got LeBron James tomorrow, how important is your system? And he said to me, do you think that the Chicago bulls ran the triangle offense, which was their system for Michael Jordan? I was like, I don't know. He's like, of course not. He goes, Michael Jordan can get 30 points in his sleep. That's easy. The triangle offense is there to support everybody else on the team and make sure that he has options to pass to and, and get other people involved. And I was like, whoa, right? So systems and processes are designed so that the team can function at its highest level. And to your point, Miranda, I love how you say who cares. It's like for Michael Jordan, okay, if you want to be a Hall of Famer and average 30 a game, great. We, you can do that like that. That's an option. 
but you're probably not going to win a championship. And people forget for a bunch of years, Jordan did not win. Um, and it wasn't until he really understood the capacity to make other people better that he ended up being one of the winningest basketball players of all time and the best basketball player of all time. And, and so it's, it's a fascinating thing as we think about, it's not debatable grace. We we don't need to have a debate on it, uh, but systems and, and processes. Right. And, and then you think about how they can unlock um, a team's potential is really big. All right. We don't have that much time together. I think the three of us could do this probably for the rest of today and be fully content and fulfilled, but we all have jobs and we're going to do that. But government, I'm just struck by it because we're at a place in our society where you do have this polarization and there's a lack of collaboration seemingly uh, that exists within our government. And yet I think of other cultures and I think of Russia as not necessarily being the most collaborative government. But then I think of China, which has all kinds of issues and challenges, and I don't want to live in China and I'm not suggesting that, but I, I think they collaborate, right? And so- how do we think about, and I don't know all, all that needs to be known about geopolitics, but I, I am curious about what can our government do to be more collaborative and what would that look like and what steps could they take? And obviously this is a massive question, but it's a wonder for us and it affects us, right? I live in Washington, D.C. Grace, we live here, like just down the street, they're not necessarily collaborating and uh, it hurts us and what does a culture that doesn't collaborate look like and what if america is only just about the individual and we don't maintain the sense of collaboration where do we go what does it look like uh i see both of you looking up looking down um i don't know if either of you have thoughts on this but it's something i'm deeply curious about which is how do we create more collaboration amongst people who are not collaborating They're both silent for the same exact amount of time. <laughs> well, like I'm also wanting to hear Grace's Grace's response, but I'll dive in since I'm starting. Um, I mean, that's a that's a topic to be answered by people with way more experience in a totally different realm and could write 25 million books on. Um, I guess all my two inexperienced sense are, you know, we have we have a system that rewards. Um, a totally different kind of behavior like to get there in the first place you have to get elected and the, the whole system operates around getting elected in power and sustaining power and they're not rewarded our politicians are not rewarded um for collaborating um so I, like and i have lots of thoughts and experience i worked on a political campaign back in college um for a guy who cared a lot about campaign finance reform so i do have a smidgen of experience watching this happen um up close and personal but um yeah the the system of rewards does not is not structured for collaboration it's structured for individual power yeah and if you go back to the rowing example you gave and then grace i'll, I'll go to you you're saying to that rower it's like okay if you want to be an individual go be an individual but for this uh, the rewards that you want are going to be group-based. And so that's what the rewards are. Grace, what were your thoughts? Oh, I mean, I think that, that these are questions that are so much bigger than like what I have like any knowledge in. I mean, I think these are just really big issues. So I, I don't think I can speak intelligently on like 
big questions, beautiful questions, but big questions. And the only thing I'd say is there's a presumption baked into your question, your initial question, that the intention is to collaborate. And so Miranda really touched on that. That's that was all. I was just like, yeah, I don't I don't actually think that the objective of government is collaboration and or things that would benefit from collaboration. So, yeah, you 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 create the rewards, you create how people then act within a system. And so what's rewarded is not collaboration, I think, in the political realm. And it's interesting because in sports, we talk about competition and competition being foundational and fundamental to a team. And I would argue collaboration is just as foundational and fundamental, but isn't always focused on rewarded, isn't always practiced. And I think the best teams, the best organizations know that competitive spirit without collaboration. I love what Miranda says. It's like, oh, who cares? Okay, you're competitive, but you're not finding ways to work with people. And I think that exists in business as well. It's like we have high competitors, but if they can't learn how to work with people, they're assholes. And we all have been in organizations that have highly talented assholes that are really competitive and can make money for an organization, but they're limited because they're of their lack of collaboration. The last thing I wanted to bring up, which doesn't have to do with either of you, but it's something I'm also thinking about is, you know, 50% or whatever the number is of marriages end in divorce. And we talk about marriage as a good thing. I think uh, people get divorced for a variety of reasons, and I think it's necessary and and helpful and healthy for a lot of people. And you don't get married with the idea of divorcing. <laughs> That's not like the plan, I hope, for most people. And I think about partnership in business. We often go into partnership without the knowledge that a lot of partnerships also end in divorce. And we all know that marriages tend to end in divorce, but we don't necessarily talk about partnerships that end in divorce. And it's another thing I'm curious about around collaboration, which is what does it look like to be a great partner and how can we create tools and systems and processes of being a great partner? And I think you could apply it to a marriage as well, but I think we often don't think of ourselves as collaborators and we don't focus and we don't do the work to be a great collaborator, whether it's in our marriage or in business. And maybe we focus on business partnership and what what are the keys to great collaboration when you're partnering with someone in business? I don't know if either of you have thoughts on it. We obviously all coach people that are in that space. And I think there's a lot of people listening to this conversation who might have a partner and they're navigating that relationship. And you know, there's a lot of adages about why business fail. And a lot of times it's because the partnership fails and there's an inability for them to continue to collaborate. Um, why do marriages fail? There's an inability for them to collaborate and find a way a lot of times. So either of you have thoughts on partnership and what can cause divorce and what leads to great partnership and great collaboration? But I think we both like have thoughts and then we... My Miranda you, bo- you both you both pause the same amount of time. And then so they both people that are listening to this that you can't see it, they're mm-hmm. muted as I'm talking. And I love it because it's a tool to then know who's gonna go, but then they both unmute at like the same exact time. And <laughs> th- th- there's a thoughtfulness that they both have, and I can see them thinking and processing, and they're way better than I am. I don't like to be on mute and I don't like to wait. I like to go fast. Uh, and they both do too, but there is a, 
wisdom that they possess and a patience that they possess that I probably need to work on. So uh, I'll call on Miranda. How about we do that? And then Grace, why don't you follow up with any of your thoughts so that this is a little cleaner? This is, uh, David Drake, who taught me to only speak when I could improve on silence. Um. <laughs> I haven't learned that. I'll, I'll, I'll work on that. Well, let's work on that, yeah. coach. Let's work on that. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I actually think I forgot the question in that moment once you were talking about me and Grace. And then I was like, oh, yeah, me and Grace are awesome. So what was the question? <laughs> partnership. Keys to great partnership oh, yeah. okay. and causes Thank for you. divorce. Sorry, I'm just in my grace like aura zone. Um, yeah, to me, like so, Brian, you've asked me, and we've we've played around with the idea of what what if we did something together. And the first conversation I would want to have with you, um, which answers this question, is how do we communicate with each other? And especially, like, let's have the conversation about what happens when um, something goes wrong. Like, how do we want to handle that? Not that we're going to predict that things are going to go wrong, not that we're going to try to make things go wrong, but we're human. You and I are both human. And so I want to have that conversation first about like commitments around having difficult conversations and even awareness is of, Brian, how do you know when you're starting to get irritated with someone or starting to resent them or starting to get frustrated if you don't feel met by the lack, you know, by the level of energy or commitment or work or effort, whatever it is, I'd want to have conversations with you around that, what it looks like for me so that both of us can be as aware as possible around, okay, if I start to feel like kind of irritated with Brian, okay, that's my cue, like this feeling or this, you know, sense is my cue, like I've made commitments to Brian in this collaboration to have conversations when I feel this way. Not that I'm planning on Brian sucking, but that to me feels like the absolute smartest place to start rather than just to like dive in and be like, let's just see how it goes. Because inevitably we're going to come apart. And the framework to me is about like, what do we have in place to come back together to work through those? Um, because I, I care much more about the relationship than I care about the work product at the end. Me and Brian literally had this, a similar conversation where yesterday I was saying that the same thing, like ultimately the relationship is what matters to me more than all the other stuff. And so like, I guard that, uh, carefully and I'm going to listen to this Marina, and take notes for everything you just said so that me and Brian can properly have that conversation. But I, I was thinking very similarly, like when you think about divorces, business, when things don't work out, I don't have answers, right? If I knew I would help everyone not have the, the heartbreak that comes with those things. But I do think for me, it's like doing my own work first, right? I think a lot of times people think, oh, you're making me feel, and it's like, nope, you've got to do your own work. Look at like the button your seat distinguish when you feel resentful or upset or this or that and know yourself well enough to be able to communicate that and convey that to other people you know people say every it's an adage it's like it's like people say it and they don't even know what it means communication is the most important part of a relationship and then they think it communication means you spewing your internal thought processes and internal state at other people and oh gosh i'm on a soap, i'm on a soapbox but like you know that's not what communication is communication is I am discovering that when you do X, Y, and Z, I make it mean this, or here's what I'm bringing to the table. One of the things I love the most about my husband when we were dating is the way that we fought. And it was because we both were the kind of people when we fought or got upset with each other, we would look at what's my responsibility in this. 
And I just thought that that was awesome. Like I would look and be like, in what ways did I hurt him? And what ways did I do this that triggered that for him? And he would look at the same for me. And with us both looking at that, it's just, a, for me, it's just been like, people like, you guys are so excited about each other. Yeah, I still feel like a newlywed. I adore the man, but it's because he's not, he's willing to look internally and say like, okay, here's what I did. And I'm, I'll look internally and be like, I see that this is what I, I'm so sorry I, I did that to you. It wasn't my intention. And that's what I did to you. So I think that that's, if, you know, I think ideally with business, if you're able to also do that, when things start to go awry and look at the butt in your seat, you got a fighting chance and it doesn't mean that it's going to work, but at least that gives it a fighting chance. So let's wrap with this. I think we all sort of wrap our coaching sessions with, Hey, what are your takeaways? Some form of that. Let's each take a minute to just share our takeaways and, and then we'll close. And hopefully people got a lot out of this. I'll go first. Um, there are things that I heard, which are, what are my wants? What are my needs? And when I'm collaborating with others, I need to find out what their wants and needs are. Grace, you sort of just hit on that. So I just wrote that down. And I don't think I always articulate what my wants and needs are needs are to others, which goes into expectation setting. There was a lot around expectation setting today where, hey, if you're going to be all in, let other people know, this is what I expect. Is that reasonable? And let's have a conversation. What do you expect from me? Which leads to the communication piece that you all are saying, how do you want to be communicated with? Is it text? Is it email? Is it a phone call? Um, let's get clear on what we want. Boundaries was talked about quite a bit. And hey, what are my boundaries? What What's helpful? What's not helpful? Um, the idea of being healthy, uh, I think, Grace, you just hit on, which is, hey, I need to be healthy if I'm going to be collaborating with someone. If I'm not in a good space, I'm probably not going to be able to collaborate. And then I love the ending, and this will be the last piece that I'll say, I think, Miranda, you hit on it, and then, Grace, you knocked it out of the park, which was on, like, what is what do we look like when we're at our worst? Like, and how do we want to handle our fights? When you said that, I was like, whoa, that is big time, because- one of the things I'm most grateful for about Robin is her ability to fight with me. Um, and I don't love how she does it. Like she could improve some things, but I know I could improve like a lot of things. Like I, my improvement for my ability to fight is, is like infinite. Um, and so that's been a big part of our relationship is our ability to disagree. And so I love that you brought that up. Um, Miranda, why don't you go? And then grace, you'll have, you'll have the last word. I was like, Robin, are you listening? Did she listen to all your podcasts, Brian? <laughs> she doesn't listen. She gets enough. She always says, she's like, I get enough of him. I don't need more. <laughs> don't need him through the radio. <laughs> I mean, I, I just feel really full of, maybe sounds corny, but full of love right now for both of you. I just, yeah. I mean, there's lots of smartness, you know, here in the conversation, but more important, um, talk about collaboration. The two of you have brought so much to my life, work-wise, Friendship-wise, um, there's a lot of richness here. I'm sad I don't live in D.C. Not really. I love Vermont, but uh, I'm sad I don't live closer to you. Both, and I just feel love, and that's what I'm taking away. You stole my line. <laughs> that's I was like, my takeaway is just how much I adore you both. Um, I feel full. Uh, if we had the time, we'd, I'd start every morning just chatting with the two of you. Um uh, since I know Brian wants to me to bring it on home with some collaboration um, piece takeaway. I, I love what you said about um, only speaking if you're improving the silence. I, I think of that as collaboration with others, right? That's the music of life is like only moving forward the conversation. Um, 
And around, yeah, I'm trying to think what my takeaways are around like collaboration. I think collaboration when done well is amazing and it lifts all boats. And I think it's part of the work for people like us who love excellence and to move fast. That's part of the work that we are put on the planet to do. And, you know, and then there are some people who naturally, I have friends who are just a space of community and collaboration and theirs is to maybe figure out ways to make themselves sing. So I don't think there's a right way, but for people like us, collaboration is part of our work on this planet. Perfect. Thank you both for your time, your energy, your love. And I will talk to both of you soon. Uh, if you want to listen to more of these podcasts, you can do it at strongskills.co slash podcast. If you want more Miranda and Grace, you can go check out their episodes. Grace knows this about me. I don't remember what number episodes they were, uh, but you can check them out online. And I will put both Miranda and Grace's LinkedIn handles in the show notes as well, or, or Joey will, will take care of that for us. So thank you both for, for your time, energy, and passion. Thank you.